Hey, thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Relevant Church. We are so thrilled and excited to see what God has planned for your life through this message. We know you're going to enjoy it. Sit back, relax. God bless. So good to be here at the brew with you all. Um, so just, just as we get started tonight, I, I just wanted to kind of give you guys a a brief reason as to why, why we are adding this additional worship experience. Oh, is, am I echoing pretty bad? Is that better? All right. It's for the Hamiltons, for Lisa, Leslie, and all those who can't make it on Sunday mornings. And uh, we haven't seen the Hamiltons since we, we, we did the uh, Sunday evenings near when we were meeting over at, I can't remember the name of the school. Near CBU, yeah, Riverside Christian, and uh, we had to close that worship experience down. But um, since then, I was like, man, you know, in the evenings, that, that, that provided an, another opportunity for people to come and, and worship God with us. And so uh, I want to thank Scott and the people here at the Daily Brew for allowing us to use their space. One of the ways that you can bless Scott and the Daily Brew is by buying a lot of coffee. You, your life needs caffeine, and you know it, so tell your friends about this place. Um, I study here. I hang out here. This is actually Relevant Church's office. Um, <laughs> Harry and I come here and uh, meet each other, and actually that little table right there, that's, right, that's, where, that's my spot. You guys are at my spot right there. So, but once again, welcome uh, invite your friends, invite people that you know can't make it out on a Sunday morning uh, to the Daily Brew Worship Experience. A lot of people may not darken the doors of a, of a church or a place that looks like church, but they'll come and have coffee with you. And you could tell them, yeah, I guess we're, we're going to have coffee and there's this comedian who's going to talk about God, <laughs> talk about funny things about God, and there you go. <laughs> but... Um, uh, we're starting off tonight with a series in the Beatitudes, and that's what we'll be doing for the next, I believe, eight weeks. Uh, we'll take us on into after Easter. Easter is March 31st. Save, your, save the date. Start praying for our Easter services and our Easter worship and uh, those who will get saved around that time. Um, but we'll be in the Beatitudes. We're going to take every uh, Sunday evening and deal with one. Uh, tonight we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which is the very first Beatitude. And so if you've got your Bibles turned there real quick, you won't have to move around too much because I'm going to stay right there just on that one verse tonight. Who's excited about Sunday nights? Yeah? All right. Let's, uh, let's keep it going. Let's keep it moving, you know. Um, I'm excited. I'm tired, but I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my wife's been making fun of my jacket since I got it yesterday. Uh, it's not from Nebraska, no, but is it plastic? I don't know, but it feels good. <laughs> Popped collar, yeah. Ursel calls me P- Captain Emo, Captain Nemo, or what is it, Captain? Captain EO, yeah, Michael Jackson. The bedazzled, yeah, so, you know, I'm trying to keep it hip for, for Micaiah's generation. 
You should see her pants. She's got glitter and stuff on there. I can't go that fly. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how your word transforms and changes us. We ask that you would bless your word. We ask that your word would penetrate our hearts and, and just uh, transform us, and may we be conformed to the image uh, that you've, uh, you've designed us to, to have, which is an image that is after yours, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone says, Amen. 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 So, Jesus has just recently began his ministry. Uh, he's gone out into the wilderness. He has been t- tempted. He's been baptized. Um, his ministry is taking off. And so, the end of chapter 4 tells us that great crowds have began to follow him. Crowds from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from all over the place, from beyond the Jordan. Everyone wants to come and hear this Jewish rabbi, this son of a carpenter, uh, teach and, and preach with authority that they never heard before. The reason why I believe that Jesus could teach the way that he could is because it wasn't that he was teaching the word by itself. It's that he himself was the word. And none other than the word itself can teach the word. Amen. So Jesus is teaching with authority that they've never heard before throughout all of Israel. And crowds are coming. And the thing about the way Jesus taught, I know that Jesus had to have a lot of humor in his teaching. He had to have a lot of story, a lot of ways to connect with people, to engage with people. He spoke to people's every days. And, and, and the goal of anyone who preaches the gospel is this, is that they should not just only preach to your Sunday, but they need to preach to your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday. So that you can take the words that that come from the heart of God and apply them to your life. And that's what Jesus is doing. And so what we find in chapter 5 is the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. This sermon has has probably influenced the world uh, many times over. People like Gandhi have been influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. People who are opposed to Christ, like Nietzsche, have their own uh, feelings towards the Sermon on the Mount. Our entire country, our entire world has been affected by Jesus' words that are found through Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes themselves are an intro, if you will, to the sermon. Jesus began by by giving these, these eight Beatitudes, these uh, some people call them the attitudes of, of, of a Christian. I, I simply want to call this series B. If you want to know what, what you're supposed to be as a Christian, all you need to do is look at these few verses right here. B. Text says this, says verse 1, I'll start at verse 1. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, just a freebie here. What's happening here for a Jewish person who's listening to Jesus, who's who's heard everything that Moses did and and how Moses came and and, and from the mountain gave the law. What The imagery that, that you're seeing here to them means more than just Jesus going up on a mountain and just sitting down and starting to speak. What's happening to them is, oh my goodness. The last time we heard somebody who, who came on a mountain and, and gave us the words of God, that was Moses. So what Jesus is doing now and what you find throughout the rest of the chapter uh, 5 here is that Jesus is addressing the law and then giving it the depth of the meaning behind what the law was. But he begins with the Beatitudes. 
says, and he opened his mouth, verse 2, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I'll go ahead and read the rest of them, and and then we'll come back to verse 3. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the, the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So what you're seeing here is that the first half of the Beatitudes are our are, are relationship with God. How we relate to God, what, what, what happens in that relationship and the blessings that follow that relationship. And then the other uh, Beatitudes that follow the, the last four are, are dealing with our relationships with one another. How we treat each other with mercy, how we treat each other with righteousness and justice, how we receive one another. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, 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 and he sandwiches the Beatitudes the same way with the same reward. He starts off by saying, those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. And then he ends with the last one and says that though those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you see the sandwich with the same reward. The kingdom of God is theirs. Now, the thing about the, the kingdom of God is that when, when Jesus says this, right, um, he, he's literally saying that, those who are poor in spirit, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, everything that Jesus preached about, everything that his entire ministry was about, belongs to them. You, you see, the thing is this, is that Jesus had a single message. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God. And so he's saying here is that, that those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize where they stand before God, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, theirs is the kingdom of God. All of God's uh, economy belongs to those. Now, the thing about the world we live in is that Christianity is, is basically leveled down to being an adjective for something that you already are. I, 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 recently, I uh, went and watched a movie that I'm not endorsing in any way, but um, uh, I went and saw the, uh, I can't even remember the name of the movie. There you go. I can't endorse it. But it's a movie about Mickey Cohen. And some of you are familiar with, uh, with Mickey Cohen. Uh, he, he was a, a, a gangster a few years ago, and, and uh, he became a Christian at one point. And so when, when people uh, came to him, Billy Graham visited with Mickey Cohen. This guy was a notorious Jewish mafia boss. And, 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 and they came to him and said, uh, Mickey, you're still a gangster. Why, why are you still a gangster? You're still uh, killing people. You're still involved in racketeering and, 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 and plunder. And why are you still behaving this way? And Mickey says, well, you have Christian sportscasters, you have Christian this and Christian that, why can't there be a Christian gangster? Because that's how we've leveled Christianity to be, something that's just an adjective that describes a character you still aren't willing to let go of.
I believe that when we look at the Beatitudes, this, these, these few verses right here are the antidote to the sham that we call American Christianity. If we, we could rise up and be a people that, that live out the Beatitudes that are actually being Christians, the world will look and say, finally, that's what it means to be a believer. It will be more than just an adjective for what you already are. You guys with me? Now, Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. How many of you guys say Blessed. Because it's blessed, but, but, you know, I grew up, you know, in a King James church. And so in the King James church, you guys don't even know what King James church is. It's like, it's like well, that's when someone gets up there. And the moment that they step in front of the, the pulpit, their, their, their language changes. It's like, blessed thou hast cometh to the Lord this morning. You know, it's like, so I, it's kind of stuck with me. It's blessed, but I, I'll say blessed. So just bear with me. Is that all right with you? When, when you see the word blessed in verse 3 and the rest of the Beatitudes, It's not speaking of just being happy. You can interpret the word to mean happy, but it doesn't mean happy because being happy is subjective. I don't know what makes you happy, Eric. I don't know what makes Jamin happy. I sure don't know what what makes AJ happy. He's a black belt in martial arts, taekwondo, taekwondo, however you say it. Taekwondo, taekwondo, something doe. I don't know what makes him happy. What makes me happy is very different than what will make you happy. And so when, when Jesus is saying, blessed are those who uh, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, he's not saying uh, you're blessed subjectively based on what makes you happy. What he's speaking of is that is God's approval towards you, how God views you. It's not a, a, a blessedness that comes from what you think is good for yourself, but rather your standing in God is that of approval. He looks at you and says, well done. You are, you are approved by me. And see, when you stand in a place where you're approved by God, the blessings of God follow. Amen? The blessings of God follow when you stand in a place, in a posture where you're, where you're approved by him. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you become approved by God? What do you have to do to be approved by God? What must you do? Come on, I need like three steps. Come on now. You, you, go, to the, you go to Barnes & Noble right now, there'll be seven steps to being happy, seven steps to, to finding a, a, a better career. Uh, you go on the checkout line and you're, you're looking there, it's like, you know, 101 ways to please your husband. There's only three. Let him, let him watch ESPN, fix him a sandwich every now and then, don't talk. <laughs> I don't want any emails. <laughs> Pauline will take care of that for you ladies, don't worry. I, I believe she beats me in my sleep, so... <laughs> But I'll, I'll be standing in the checkout line like 101 ways to please your husband, to please your man. I'm like, I think there's only like three, four maybe. doesn't take that much. Pleasing God, there is no step to actually pleasing God. The only thing you do to please God is faith. It's belief in him. And so when we're talking about a, 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 being poor in spirit, we're speaking about your posture of faith. Blessed 
He's not talking about how you feel. He's speaking about God's approval, how God views you. Now, the other thing too about blessed is that uh, a lot of times, you know, you sneeze, someone says, God bless you, you know. God bless you, you just sneeze, you know. I, I still don't understand where that comes from. I think it's from an old, uh, from the old world, really. But when, when, when Jesus is speaking blessed here, Jesus, God is not saying some nice little uh, saying to you, but rather what, what's happening here is that, is that God is, is making a declaration of who you truly are once you're in Christ. Once you're in Christ, you stand blessed. You are blessed, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming, blessed going. If you are in Christ, you are in a position of being blessed. You may not have all the money. You may not have all the friends. You may not have a whole bunch of people following you on Twitter and retweeting your your witty statements. But the thing is this, that if you are in Christ, you stand in a blessed position. You're completely blessed, fully blessed. When you are in a place, in a posture, that God looks at you and grants his approval to you. Now, the thing about approval is this, is that a lot of times we don't really care that much about God's approval. If we can really, really be honest, we really don't care about God's approval. We, we care about how many people are going to like our picture. We care how many people are actually going to going to uh, give us a compliment on our hair, compliment on our on our performance on something. We want everyone else's approval, but we could care less. We could give a rip about God's approval in our life. Does God's approval mean more than anyone else's approval? It says blessed those who stand in a place that God looks to them and approves of them, not because of what they've done, but because who they've placed their faith in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit. Now, poor in spirit does not speak of lack of self-worth. It's not a poverty theology. It's not shyness. How many of you guys know that sometimes the most shy people are the most proud people too? I've met some introverts who, they won't say too much, they won't raise their voice too much, but you start talking to them and it's like, oh my gosh. I, I, had, a, I had a roommate, I don't know where he's at anymore so I can talk about him. I had a roommate, he was a uh, medical school s- student, and, and one, day, one day we were, we were sitting down uh, having a Coke, talking w- w- with each other, and, and, and out of the blue he just says, you know what, Jonathan, I, I can walk into a room and absolutely tell that I am smarter than 99% of the people in there. I was like, really? He was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty intelligent. Now, if you saw this dude, you'd be like, yeah, we can tell that you're intelligent. We can tell that you lived and were, your playground was the library, nothing else. It was the epitome of, of, of nerd, and, 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 but he, was, he had this attitude of being smarter and better than anyone else. Now, the, the thing that, was, that shocked me one day is I came home, and there was this beautiful woman in the kitchen cooking, and I was like, excuse me, who are you? And so she's like, oh, I'm Jeff's girlfriend. I was like, what? How did you work this out? Maybe I need to go, st- you know, just before Pauline, before Pauline and I got married, I was like, I need to go study or something. I get with, with Jeff later on. I was like, so Jeff, um, uh, quantum physics, eh? That's, what, that's how you got that? He was like, no, my friend, eHarmony. 
eHarmony. <laughs> Poor in spirit doesn't speak of, of a false humility or, or someone who's introverted, someone who's not outspoken. It's not speaking about that. Poor in spirit means, it, 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 the, the word that's used there is, is a word that, that means to cower, to beg, to, to, to cringe as a beggar. Someone who's fully dependent on someone else in order to get something. Who's in a posture that, that, that when you see them, you know that they cannot live another day in their, on this planet unless someone else does something. Now, now we see beggars quite a bit here in, in Riverside. And I've always kind of thought to myself, and, and, and you know, it might be sinful for me to think this way, but, but it's only in America where you can find someone who's, who's begging on the street, but yet they're still overweight. It's only in America, you know. It doesn't work that way in other parts of the world. And so, and so when, when, when Jesus is speaking about someone who's poor in spirit, the, the, the level of poverty that, that the, his audience is understanding and is perceiving is a level of poverty where you see somebody who literally is, is moments away from death unless somebody allows them, graces them with something to eat. Now, because we... Uh, we, we, we live on credit and other things like that. We, we can fake being poor for, for a long time, you know. We can fake that, that we've got it when we really don't got it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Anybody been there where, where you, you know that you know that you know that you're living off of credit cards? You know, they didn't really have credit cards. They just had slavery back then, you know. You, you were just either you had it or you, you, you just didn't have it. You couldn't fake it. If you were poor, if you were completely destitute, like, like the, the type of person that, that, that Jesus is speaking of, it showed. You could not fake it. So what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that blessed is the person who in his spirit understands that there is nothing that he can do to offer or to give. He's completely bankrupt. Speaking of a moral bankruptcy. Bankruptcy and understanding that there is no merit in my life. This concept is pretty difficult for us to to really think through in America. Actually, around the world. Because... You can the thing the thing that happens in a room like this is this is that you can look to yourself and say yeah I've done some dirt but I'm not as bad as Mark I, I've done some stuff but I've never been on a bender like Kevin Williams because a few years ago those Vegas trips oh man would make Lindsay Lohan blush We look at each other. We compare each other. We're like, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Oh, I was, I was, growing up, I, I used to get in trouble quite a bit. And, and one of the ways I will try to get myself out of trouble, you know, I'd come home and, and, and my parents are like, you're going to get a whipping. You're going to, you know, like my, my dad, <laughs> Ursel, will, 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 will remember this too. Uh, we had all gotten in trouble, all the young freshmen and boys. 
uh, in our friendship circle had gotten in trouble, and, and, and so our parents had to come in, and, and one, of my, one of our buddies, Wilbur's dad, came in, and he was a farmer. This guy was a huge man. Like, he walked in the room there, and the principal told, us what, told him what we had done, and, and, and Wilbur's dad looked at, looked at the principal, Dr. McKenzie, and said, Dr. McKenzie, he going to get a whipping? He going to get a whipping? And he going to get a whipping. And I don't know what else going to happen, but he going to get a whipping. <laughs> 20 years later, we're still talking about you. I don't know what's going to happen, but you're going to get a whipping. But in situations like that, I'd go home and say, well, I wasn't as bad as Wilbur. His dad came to the school. You didn't get the phone call. I just came home with a report, with a note. I'm not as bad as those other kids. So surely you shouldn't, you know, have to go all out. You know, George Bush came out during the, before the Iraqi war, he came up with the whole term preemptive strikes, you know. I knew what preemptive strikes were growing up because my parents would preemptively discipline me before I did it, you know. <laughs> it's like, you're in trouble. I, I didn't do anything yet, but you're going to. <laughs> because of that, you <laughs> might as well get it out of the way right now. And so from an early age, you grow up comparing yourself, saying, I am not as bad as that other person. I am not as messed up as they are. Yes, I was addicted, but I never prostituted myself. Yes, I, 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 I didn't use my money correctly, but I never had to file bankruptcy as many times as that other person did. Yeah, this happened, but I didn't go that far. I didn't, it didn't get that bad for me. Because deep down what you're saying is that I am still a good person. I still have something. I'm awesome and God can only make me awesomer. Recognizing that you are spiritually needy is what positions you for God's approval. Recognizing that when it comes to holiness, to, to godliness, there is not an ounce, a shred, a, a, a millisecond of anything good that you can offer God, that God can look at and say, yes, you are amazing, I want you. But rather, when you start looking at yourself and saying, I am spiritually, morally bankrupt, I've never had anything to offer, that is the moment that God's approval is granted to you. We're saved by faith, but the posture of faith is a posture of begging God. It's a posture of, of recognizing that all I have is, is, is my hand to extend to you to pour out your mercy. There's nothing I can bring. This is different than the economy of this world that says, blessed is the person who finishes first. Blessed is the person who gets all the toys. Blessed is the person who's always right. Blessed is the person who, has, who looks good and acts good. This is completely different than the economy of this world. The economy of the kingdom. In the economy of the kingdom, you appreciate and value at the moment of your bankruptcy. 
When you recognize I am spiritually completely broke, that's the moment God says, I bless you. I receive you into myself. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to those who are crushed in spirit. Religion will tell you, when you do this, when you memorize this, when you take this pilgrimage to the Holy Crystal in Sedona, when you finally have have prayed so many prayers, when you've done so much, when you've given your money to these individuals, when you, after you do all these things, at that point, that's when God will be pleased with you. That is the economy of man-made religion because that's the economy of how we operate. How good are you determines how much good God looks to you with. That's the way the world views it. Jesus says, blessed, blessed are those who are bankrupt in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The thing about this teaching is this, is that a lot of times, oh man, it's going to get real crazy right now. But we're about to step on some toes right now. A lot of times, As Christians, we start there and we believe subconsciously that we outgrow that place. And and, and the the thing about it is that my propensity as as a man, being a a, a person who studies God's word and and, and loves the Reformed tradition of of, of theology, my fall, the place where I lean and fall is the place where I start getting too smart. And thinking that because I know some verses, because I know some doctrines, because I can explain it and I can exegete some scriptures and I can uh, come alongside you and, and teach you a few things about what God's word is saying, because of that, I've earned something. There's something special about me. I don't smell as bad as you anymore. You don't outgrow Matthew 5, verse 3, you never do, and the moment that you do is the moment that you no longer are living in grace, but you're living in condemnation. Because not only will you look at yourself and condemn yourself, but you'll condemn other people around you. It's the beginning point of Phariseeism. When you start looking at yourself saying, I have arrived, I can find the book of Zebediah. There is no book of Zebediah. Or is there? No, there isn't. See, right there, I just got bankrupt right there. <laughs> the moment you can memorize the, the, the five solas of the Reformation and feel as if you've arrived, the moment that you can break down the doctrine of pneumatology and, 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 and uh, soterology and all these things and you know all these words and, and, you, and you puff yourself up, is the moment that you feel as if you have something and God looks at you and says, nah, man, you don't know Nan. You don't know Nan. 
Trick Daddy, circa 1990-something. You don't know anything at that point. You have forgotten the fundamentals of faith. The Apostle Paul has an amazing transformation. God literally knocks him out, changes his name, changes his character from being a bloodthirsty, murdering terrorist and transforms his heart to being an apostle who preaches grace, who preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. He goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He knows theology. He says he spent time in Arabia with Jesus himself teaching him uh, the, 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 the gospel and, and, and breaking down the, 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 what the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they had to say. He is the one who provides the most rich commentary in the New Testament that breaks down our faith. If it wasn't for the Apostle Paul, we would all be Jewish. We'd be looking at each other, trying to get each other circumcised and, and all kinds of stuff, okay? If it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul, after his many experiences with the Lord, after signs and wonders following his ministry, after writing two-thirds of the New Testament, can still sit down and look at you in the eye and say, I am the chief of all sinners. I am worse than all of you. I have nothing to offer. Because he didn't allow his knowledge and experience with the Lord to become a merit to him. But rather, the closer he got to Jesus, the more he saw the character of God, the more he understood the wretchedness of his heart. The more he understood that, oh my Lord, I really, really need God. The supreme lesson in this first beatitude is this. There's no one that enters the kingdom of God because there's something inherently within them that makes God approve them. There's no one who enters based on their own merit. I'll end on this statement. What connects you to God is not how tall you stand, but rather the realization of how far you've fallen. What connects you to God is not how tall you stand on your own righteousness, on your own worthiness, but rather the moment that you realize that you have fallen deep and you can't get yourself out, you can't rescue yourself, there's nothing you can do to climb out of that ditch that you've got yourself in. The moment you recognize that, that is the moment that you connect with God. When you understand your depravity, your bankruptcy and neediness in the spirit. That's the moment that everything that Jesus preached about, everything about the kingdom of God, God says, it's now yours. It's given to you.
For more information, visit Relevant316.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We hope you have a wonderful day and God bless.